Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Hey, cow folks, give me a big yee-haw! Yeah! All right, all right. Oh, we're so excited that you're with us today. I knew we were going to have a plaid fest on stage today. Those guys weren't dressed like cowboys, they were dressed like farmers. This is a cowboy, a rhinestone cowboy. Where's Glenn Campbell when you need him, right? Hey, we want to welcome all of you who are joining online right now. We do have a few people in the room. And maybe by next Sunday, we're going to be open on Sunday. So we'll see how that happens this week. And we want to greet all of you that are across the city, across the nation, and around the world. And then, of course, our campuses, North End, Bronx Park, Neverville. Hey, let's give them a big yee-haw! All right, let's launch right into this. So this is our pie auction weekend where we jump into it and we try to raise outrageous amounts of money for the gospel. Hey, just because there was a global pandemic doesn't mean missions stopped. In fact, we had the best year we've ever had. There was more things happening around the world. You can hear some of the stories today during a pandemic. And, you know, it might have actually, of course, it made things more difficult. There's no question about that. But in a way, what it did was it prepared people's heart Because I think what people realized is that there was more to this life than just this life. And the gospel went out, and we have a bold vision, even though we're going to do our auction, we're going to do it this year entirely online, kind of an eBay thing, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun in a few minutes' time with that. But we still have a goal of raising $215,000 this weekend, and by the end of the year, we want to raise almost $300,000, 400,000, 385,000 is our goal, and we expect to do it. So, my message today is called The World on a Dollar a Day. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to convince you that on a dollar a day, you could change the world. When it comes to mission, I am not joking, we could actually, with a simple dollar a day, if everybody did a dollar a day, we could actually accomplish all of our needs. If we had, let's say, 1,100 families, 1,100 families gave $1 a day or the equivalent of $1 a day, we would reach our budget of 385000 just like that. We could do it today, no problem. And so I'm convinced that we can do it. And when we think of a dollar a day, a dollar is not very much money these days, is it? I mean, it seems like a ridiculously small amount of money. It's chump change. Would you not agree? A dollar, they said, what can you buy for a dollar? It's not even coffee money. Well, maybe if you go to McDonald's, you go to Tim Hortons, you're going to pay two bucks. You go to Starbucks, you're not getting a coffee for two bucks. You're paying four, you're paying five. I know some of you will pay seven, you know, with the froth and the caramel and the whole thing. And so, you know, when I look at a dollar a day, I'm going to tell you a story about this. Let me tell you this story. I'm going to tell you how worthless we consider chump change these days. So... About six months ago, I was selling my old uh, snow tires off my van that I'd sold. And uh, they were good tires. They're actually still almost new, had rims on them. I just wanted to get rid of them. I put them on Kijiji, you know, the Wild Wild West. Put them on Kijiji, 200 bucks. Just wanted to get rid of them. It was a great deal. Some guy phones me up within like five minutes, says he wants them, says he's coming over right away. Would I take 180? He hasn't even seen him yet. He's already negotiating with him, with me. I said, okay, you come, you're wearing a mask and you bring cash and I'll sell them to you. So the guy shows up and, uh, you know, he walks up and he says, looks at the tires. He says, they're great. I'll take them. And then you know what he does? He hands me a sack of quarters and he hands me a sack. He says, here's $180. 
I said, what? Seriously? You're going to give me a sack of quarters? I said, really? He says, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. I said, you couldn't stop at the bank and get $20 bills? He said, you show up with cash. This is cash, you said. I said, come on. And I thought, what, are you in the bubblegum machine business? Are you running vending machines? Or what's your deal here? And so I'm already a little ticked that I gave him to him on a discount. And now that he's paying with quarters, I'm thinking, what am I going to do with these stupid quarters? Anyway, I decided, whatever, take the stupid tires. I took the stupid bag of quarters, which I still have, by the way. And started to think, what am I going to do with a bag of quarters? What would you do with a bag of quarters? Well, you take them to the bank. I'm not taking them to the bank. You've got to roll them. I'm not doing that. And then I was going to put them in the offering, let somebody else count them. <laughs> and then I realized that we give online. How am I going to give quarters away online? So then, no joke, I dumped the bag out. And guess what? I thought, I'm going to count them. I bet he shortchanged me. $174. He ripped me off. So now I have all these quarters. What are we going to do with all these quarters? Do they even work in parking meters anymore? I don't know. I mean, look, you want some quarters? Anybody want some quarters? Look at nobody even moved for them. Look at maybe these kids will take them. Nobody even wants the money. Don't touch me. People are dodging it instead of catching it. They're dodged. Don't touch me with your dirty money. So I've been walking around for six months with a bag of quarters, feeling like a loser. And so now, now you get my point, is that we probably have more money. A dollar a day just falls out of our pockets, goes into our couches, into our sofas. You know what I'm talking about. There's, we'd give up a dollar a day just like that. We won't even think about it. Even the loony. How many of you like the loony? Nobody likes the loony. It's a nuisance. The kids like the loonies. <laughs> Nobody likes the loony. You know, I got a funny story, true story. I was in Newfoundland uh, just after the loony coin came out. We're at this souvenir shop. I'm buying this little tiny thing. I dropped two loonies on the counter. The guy says, oh, sorry, sir. He knew us from out of town. It's a souvenir shop. He says, sorry, sir. I can't take those. I said, why not? He said, didn't you hear? They recalled the lo- loony coin in Newfoundland. I said, what? He said, yeah, us Newfies kept on breaking our teeth trying to get the chocolate out. <laughs> and then he cracked up, just like you did, and took my loonies. <laughs> so he actually did one of them. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to be looking at the fact that we have this commission to go into the world. And I'm going to show you the Great Commission. But before I do that, I want to show you what we're targeting today. And today we are targeting the 1040 window. So here's the 1040 window. Everything we're raising is going towards the 1040 window. And the 1040 window is 10 degrees north by 40 degrees north through Africa, through Asia. This is where 50% of the world's population lives, 80% of the world's poverty, 93% of the unreached peoples in the world live in the 1040 window. And here's the ironic twist to this. When it comes to the Western church, the wealthiest church on the planet, we give only 7% of our missions giving goes towards the 1040 window. Do you see something wrong with that inverse relationship? And so we made a decision in this church probably close to 20 years ago. We thought if that's where 93% of the unreached peoples are, we're going to put 93% of our missions money towards that or approximately. And we have been giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to the 1040 window ever since, trying to make a difference. And the thing that I want to impress upon you today is a dollar a day will make a difference because in the 1040 window, a good percentage of those people live on one dollar a day. No joke. Here's the chart. Here's the 1040 window. Look at those places. That brown color is where 
uh, 60 to 80 percent of the population of those countries lives on a dollar a day. The red color, 40 to 60 percent live on a dollar a day. These are where the world lives on a dollar a day. A dollar a day, we can gain the world. So let's talk about the Great Commission. So the Great Commission is this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations, all nations, and then the end shall come. The word nations there is the word ethne in the Greek. It doesn't mean political nations. It means ethno-linguistic groups. And, you know, when is Jesus going to come? He told us. It's not when the Antichrist appears or whether, when there's a you know, one world currency or one world government or some sort of thing happens in Israel or Jerusalem. He said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. It's the only sign of the end. So he can't come tomorrow because we have not accomplished this task. He doesn't say that every person is going to accept Christ, but he says that every man, every woman, every child needs to have a chance to hear the gospel. And it's incumbent upon us to actually make sure that happens. Now, when a lot of people look at the Great Commission, they think it's the impossible commission. I know they do. They think this will never happen. There's two billion people that have never heard the gospel. It can't happen. Let me tell you how easy it is to happen. It is so accessible. If all the Christians in the world would do this one thing, if they would all lead one person to Christ in the next three years, do you think that would be possible for one person to lead another person in three years? Do you think you could do that? Every one of you could do that. And then another person in the next three years and another person in the next three years. If we all did that over the next nine years, we could actually accomplish the Great Commission in one generation. We could be the final generation if we really got serious about this. And I know what you say. You say, well, none of my friends live in the 1040 window. Ah, but I have friends in the 1040 window. I can help you with that problem. And you know how we can help them? With a dollar a day. That's how we can help them. And I'm not joking. There is actually a way for us to use one dollar a day to make transformative changes in the 1040 window. But here's the big problem. You see, when you look around the Western church, as I said, the Western church is so busy spending money on other things, on carpet, on draperies, on buildings, on, you know, parking lots and different things. And so we made a decision in this church quite a few years ago. And we thought, you know what? We're not going to spend a bunch of time raising money for ourselves. You will never hear us. Do you ever hear us raising money for anything? Do you ever hear us doing fundraisers for this building? We made this decision that we were going to raise money for missions. And we were going to do it unapologetically, like I'm doing right now. And we were going to ask you to give towards that. We were going to send 100% of it, 100% of everything that comes in this weekend goes towards the 1040 window. And we decided that if we take care of God's business, that he would take care of our business. And God has proved that to us. Here we are in a building that's 186,000 square feet on 11 acres with, with seven acres of paved parking lot. And we're absolutely debt free. God takes care of his children. Now, I want to prove it to you from Scripture. And then I'm going to... I can't talk about everything we're doing around the world and all the projects we're involved in. So I'm just going to tell you a few stories. But let me sort of give you a little bit of the framework here of what God says about this and how important this is. So we're in the book of Haggai, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, 
consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you bring in little. Or sorry, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know that expression? We have that expression in our culture. It's he's, his money's burning a hole in his pocket. Where do you think that might have come from? Maybe from this? He says, you put your money in a bag with holes. I got one of those. I wish it did have a hole. I could get rid of those stupid quarters in that, in that bag, bag. And here's the story. Let me give you the background of this story real briefly. And here's the situation. We have the Jews. They have come back from Babylon. They've had 70 years of captivity. And they finally come out of captivity. They've come back to the promised land. They've come back to Israel. They're back in the city of Jerusalem. And, of course, they're doing what you would do. They're reestablishing themselves. And they're building houses. And they're painting and paneling their houses. And they're farming once again. But something's wrong. Because here they are, they're trying to get on with life and they can't seem to make a go of it. They're planting crops, but they're not getting enough harvest from these crops. And God says, it's like you're earning money to put it in a bag with holes. It's burning a hole in your pocket. And he says, consider your ways because there you are taking care of yourself and my temple lies in ruins. There they were, the temple right in the center of Jerusalem was broken down and burned with fire and lying there and they weren't attending to it. And he says, if you will take care of my needs, I will take care of yours. But because you have not done this, the skies have withheld their rain and you're earning money to put in a bag with holes. Now, I hope you're finding the parallel to our world today because people never think that they have enough money today. And oh, I'm just struggling, trying to get by. You say, well, I'm not building the temple. I mean, I don't need to build a temple. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about that. What is the temple in the New Testament? Paul told us, he said, God no longer dwells in temples made with hands. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the temple being in ruins, what are we talking about? We're talking about those two billion people or, or more around the world that are lying in ruins because they have never become the temple of the Holy Spirit. They have never had that opportunity to hear the gospel. That's the only temple that God cares about is the temple of people's hearts. And here we are so oftentimes we think, well, I just don't have enough to give. Are you kidding me? Why do we say that? Why do I, hear it, I hear it from people in North America all the time. And what they don't realize is that we are by far the richest people on the whole planet. Let me give you a paradigm for that. If you own a home, your own home, and a car, you are amongst the richest 1% on the planet. You are richer than 99% of every other human being. If you only own your home and do not own a car you're still richer than 95%. If you are on welfare and you don't own a home and you don't own a car, you are still richer than 90% of the entire planet. We can't say that we don't have enough. See, the problem is we always want more. He says, you, you eat, but you're not full. You drink, but you're not satiated. Isn't that what we're like? We make money and we buy things and, and, and we just want more. And we just want a bigger house and we want a better car and we want a newer TV. And it goes on and it goes on and goes on. You know, John D. Rockefeller was once asked this question, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He said, just one more dollar. You all understand that, don't you? Is that we never feel like we have 
enough. And so what I'm going to try to convince you of today is that we all have enough to give. Every last one of us has the ability to give. We all have that dollar a day, every, every person, every family, and a lot of us could do a whole lot better than that. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you the Dollarama projects we're involved in. How many like Dollarama? Love Dollarama. I liked it when everything was a dollar. Now it's not even a dollar. Have you noticed that? You notice that? They're tricking us. You go in, two dollars? I thought it was Dollarama, not two dollarama and and they're three dollarama and i mean you know it's kind of getting up there on some things it's still a good deal i still buy the candy there right for a buck do you do that yeah you bet you do and so so i'm going to give you the dollarama projects and i'm going to start with the one dollar a day project we have stuff going on all over the world and i can't even possibly tell you everything that's going on i think the best thing i could do is tell you a couple of stories so the first place I want to talk about where you can actually sponsor a church plant over a dollar is this, the country of Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, it's actually the hotbed of the gospel right now in the world, hottest place on the planet. And it's interesting because if you know the history of it, Ethiopia was the first place outside of the Middle East to be Judaized. You will remember the story. It was the Queen of Sheba when she came to see King Solomon and she took Judaism back and there's all kinds of Jewish people even to this day, thousands of years later in the country of Ethiopia. It was also the very first country outside of the Middle East to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that story. It's in Acts chapter 8 where Philip led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ and he went back. Christianity has been in Ethiopia for 2,000 years. So it only stands to reason that maybe in the last days, that's the place that God visits and causes something to happen. And we're dumping a bunch of money into Ethiopia because the bang for the buck is out of this world. So we're going to spend $50,000 this year in Ethiopia. And let me tell you why. Last year, we were part of a project where they sent out a thousand church planters. We didn't pay for the whole thing. We paid for about a third of it. And they sent out a thousand church planters. This is a picture of some of these church planters. They get trained. They get a Bible. For a dollar a day, they go out and support themselves on a dollar a day. And their job is to go reach people and to build churches and establish the gospel in Ethiopia. So here's what happened with those thousands, just, just a little over a thousand last year. They went out and in 40 days, are you ready for this? 40 days, they preached the gospel to 815,000 people. 815,000 people. They gave out 100,000 Bibles. And when they were all said and done, when the dust all settled months and months later, they had planted 3,000 churches. And what happens, they've discovered is each one of these church planters over the course of two years can plant three churches in only two years. I mean, I can't even fathom that. It's hard to believe. Now, understand what a church plant might look like there, because it might look like this. For an example, it might look like this under, outside under a little you know, canopy of some sort. There are bigger ones that might look like this. So when you're thinking church plant, don't think of this Baptist church with a steeple, etc. Imagine them outside or in tin buildings or different places. It doesn't matter what the building looks like, because the building isn't the church, right? So these guys go out. So this year we're committing 50,000 to that project. So we are going to to sponsor at a dollar a day, 300 church planters. And over the next two years, these guys are going to plant a thousand churches for us in Ethiopia. How many of you want to be part of that deal? Good. It'll cost you a dollar a day. So let me go up to the $2 a day project. So, uh, 
one of those places would be China. China's another hotbed, and it's interesting because China's not an easy place to plant a church because of the persecution that's there, because of the restriction of the government. Uh, in fact, it is really, really as far as the government's concerned, very close to the church. Uh, for example, it is the most surveilled country in the world. There are 200 million closed-circuit televisions surveilling the public. Public in If you're a, a Chinese citizen walking around one of the cities, you are being followed by cameras. And not only are you being followed by cameras, but they have facial recognition software where they are actually following you and tracking you as you go through the streets. I mean, I don't know if I want to live in a world like that, but there are people who do, lots of them, a billion of them, over a billion of them. And there are Christians in this world that are determined to bring the gospel to these people that are hopelessly lost without Jesus. So I asked for a story. I said, let me hear one of the stories. And they sent me a first-hand account of one of these young church planners. And he had gone to the Bible schools. The Bible schools are actually underground. Actually, almost literally. Wait till you hear this story. And so most of them are between 16 and 24 years of age. They're young men, young women. So this one particular young man, he left his city, uh, and he traveled on train, first of all, by, for a day, traveled on bus for a day. Then he spent six hours walking up into the mountains where he found the Bible school inside a cave in the side of a mountain. And inside that cave, there was no running water. There was no electricity. They spent the next few weeks there studying the Bible under candlelight. They drank rainwater that was gathered into basins, and they drank it with their hands. And they spent several weeks there training and being prepared to go out and evangelize and plant churches. So at the end of the training, they were paired up in two, just like Jesus did, sent them out two by two. And they were given an envelope, and the envelope had an address of a home in a village somewhere. So he and his partner partnered up, they opened the envelope, saw the village, saw the address, and started their way until they made it to that particular village. When they got to the village, they knocked on the door, the address that they had been given. A woman came to the door, she was surprised, she slammed the door behind her and came out, said her husband was not a Christian, they could not come in, no they weren't staying there, no she was not feeding them, she said follow me. They walked up this hillside and she, she took them to another cave. And then they went and stayed in this cave. She said, stay here till I return. She was gone for two weeks. Two weeks, they're living in another cave. And he said, she says, pray here. We'll come back with instructions. After two weeks, she shows up with the instructions. Again, another envelope with an address. So these two church planters went to the address, knocked on the door. The door opened. These strange people they did not know let them into the house. There were seven of them in the household. They preached the gospel to them, and all seven came to Christ that night. So then they got invited back the next night, and there was twice as many people, their friends and their family, and this just kept on going on and on and on. And within a few days, they were going from house to house, and there was 50 and 60 and 70 people jammed and crowded into these little churches. And when they were done their tour in the city, are you ready for this? These two young men, 18, 20 years old, planted five hundred house churches. You know how much money that costs? Two dollars a day. Two dollars a day times two, because there was two of them. That's four dollars a day. Wouldn't you like to get some of that action? Well, good, because you're going to, because that's what this is all about. All right, I'm going to take you out of the 1040 window just for a moment. I want to tell you a story about Cuba. Cuba, how many of you have been to Cuba? I've been to, a bunch of you. A bunch of you have been there on holidays. It's a beautiful place. The people are lovely. 
Uh, they desperately need the gospel. They've been under communism for years and years and years, embargo, and economically they've had all kinds of struggles. And I want to tell you a story about Pastor Ramon. And Pastor Ramon lives in this community, this neighborhood, where the predominant religion is Santeria. Santeria is a combination a strange combination of witchcraft and Catholicism. And they've mixed this thing together. Here's this picture. They do these, these rituals. It's much like voodoo. It just holds people in spiritual bondage. And Pastor Ramon, he, his, his church was right in the center of town. And, uh, and he decided he was trying to reach these people. And he couldn't reach them. They were so bound in their witchcraft. And so he just began to pray and said, God, you're going to have to give me a plan. And God spoke to him. And he knew there was a lot of kids running around this town. There's 12,000 in his town, children. And God said, never mind the adults, focus on the children. Reach the children for Christ because they're not indoctrinated with this witchcraft. Reach them first. So he simply ran with his good location. He simply ran a program called the Hour of Light. And it was uh, every night uh, they would have this Hour of Light. People would come and there'd be games and there'd be food and there'd be sporting activities. And they would hear the gospel. And one by one, dozen by dozen, these young kids started to come to Christ. And of course, the parents would bring them and drop them off because the kids wanted to go back. And then he started to make connections with the parents. And the parents started to come to Christ. And the parents started to join the church. And then what happened is they started coming in and burning, bringing their witchcraft paraphernalia and burning it. As they came to Christ, they realized they had to get out of the bondage of this. And so they were letting these things go. So that was gradually happening, and over the, the next few weeks, he actually planted 26 home group Bible studies and six churches of 100 persons each. And so it's multiplying in, in this area. And so I'm thinking, boy, we get news from Cuba. I bet I could find this guy. I'd read this story. I thought, I bet I can find this guy on the internet. So I typed in his name and typed in his city. Boom, the story pops up. This guy, here's a picture of him here. He was arrested just recently for homeschooling his children. Because he didn't send his children to the state-run school, he was arrested. Are you ready for this? He was sentenced to two years in jail. He's in prison right now. You know, we don't realize the price that people pay. And there are people that are willing to do it. And they're making $3 a day. And they're willing to risk their lives. And they're willing to go to great lengths for the gospel to come to their communities. And we get to sit in our comfortable chairs. And I say, consider our ways. Because we can help make a difference in those communities. I want to talk about one last thing in closing here today. And I want to talk about the unreached people groups. Unreached people groups, by definition, are groups somewhere in the world that do not have a written language, first of all. And because they don't have a written language, they do not have a Bible in their own language. And they usually do not have some sort of uh, church or some sort of spiritual place where they can find some Christianity. And these have been all identified and we've been involved with unreached people groups for about 15 years now. And there's groups that go in and this is what they do. They use community people to actually create a written language. And then once they've created the written language, then they translate the Bible, the New Testament in particular, into their language. And from there, there's a literacy program. People learn how to read. It becomes transformative to their communities. And churches get planted in these communities. 
And we have uh, been currently, we've been doing five projects a year, just ourselves, our church. I don't know another church that does five unreached people groups. I barely know any churches that do one unreached people group. But we do five of them. It costs us $170,000 every year. And then we've been doing them for so many years that every couple of years, one of them comes to completion. And they get dedicated their Bible, and that project ends, and there's, there's churches planted in that community, and then we pick up a new one. So we have been in India and Uganda and in Kenya and Burkina Faso and Indonesia and Nepal. Last year, our, our Burkina Faso uh, project came to completion. And so now we needed to take on a, a new one. And so we were trying to decide where were we going to go, which project we were going to pick up. And one of the ones that came across my desk was a project in Nepal. And when I saw the name of this people group, the Kura people, I realized I had actually met this group. And this is like, I want to tell you this story because it's so personal. I want you to get emotionally involved in the unreached peoples. So let me tell you the story. The very first people group that we sponsored was the Chamku people in Nepal. And the Chamku people live on the base of the Himalayan mountains. Uh, they had no written language. And so we took this project on. We sponsored it solely for, for nine years. And finally, they were having their Bible, their New Testament dedicated. They had a literacy program going on. And they invited us to come to the dedication. And so some of you will remember this. It was five years ago. Kathy and I flew to Nepal, and we decided we were going to go meet these people that we had sponsored for, for nine years and see them present the Bible that they had created. And here they are, these lovely, beautiful, hospitable. We had this huge language barrier. They couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak their Chemku language. But it didn't matter. Uh, we loved them anyway, and they loved us. And so we had a fantastic time with them while we were there. And while we were there, we met this man, and his name is Simon, or at least that's what he goes by. I don't think that's his real name. And he's kind of the Apostle Paul of Nepal. And I'm going to show you a picture of him. Here he is, and you probably know which one I am. And, uh, and, and Simon, I mean, he looks a bit like a bit of a country bumpkin in his, in his hiking gear. But let me tell you how it works in Nepal. There's not roads going over around the country. There's a few roads around the cities. But outside the cities, there's, there's paths through the hillside and through the, the foothills of the Himalayas. And people walk, and they call it trekking. And there's paths going off everywhere. And this is what Simon does once a year. He is determined to reach the unreached peoples of his country. And he once a year puts on that knapsack and he goes down those trails like we were standing on and he goes literally into these villages to find out if there's a language being spoken there that does not have a Bible. And he actually learns and meets these people and then he adopts them and starts working with them and helps them to develop a written language and so I met this guy and and the more I got to know him the more strategic that I realized that here he is he's just talking about the plan and how he's doing it and he was a brilliant individual and so he was the one who invited us he said look if you're going to come and meet with the Chamku people he says let me get some other unreached people groups together and do you know that he brought together nine unreached people groups from the foothills of the Himalayas? Nine. And they came, and here's the, here's the, I call it the class photo. Here we are in the class photo with these nine people groups. And if you not want to know which ones we are, we're, we're the white ones. And we're in the bottom left-hand corner there, Kathy and I. And uh, we spent uh, f- four days with these people in this Catholic retreat center. Uh, none of these people, I'll tell you how they got there. 
They walked for two days. Most of them walked for two days, and then they got on a bus and traveled for 10 hours. I did not complain about my flight. I was in economy. And, uh, and, and they slept on the floor. There was nowhere for them to sleep. They didn't have beds. They at least gave us something that looked like a coffee table to sleep on. These people just slept on the, on the ground. And uh, they were these fantastic people. And so as this was going on, uh, we, uh, we spent three days and I was preaching to them. And I just, I, I want you to see these pictures because I want you to get connected with these people. So there I am. Look how funny I am. I'm hilarious. They're, they're, they're laughing. I think they might be laughing at me. I'm not sure. <laughs> Who's the goofy white guy? That's probably what they were saying the whole time. But anyway, they were smiling, laughing. Even Kathy got into it and preached a session. Here she is, you know, all animated and stuff. I have a hard time getting her to speak publicly. Go to Nepal. She's out there. Go figure, right? Anyway, we were with these people. We were singing. We were worshiping. We were dancing at times. We are preaching the gospel to them. And so one of the highlights for me was there was these three men that I met that were all former witch doctors, people who practiced witch medicine. And here's a picture of me with them, these three guys. And uh, I want to talk to you particular about the one on my right, your left, looking up at the picture, the one in the ski jacket. It was 30 degrees Celsius out that day. I'm sweating like a pig. This guy's got this ski jacket on, this down jacket that he never took off and he slept in. They had no change of clothes. These people had the same clothes every single day. But let me tell you that his story. Because he was the witch doctor in his village. And he had performed every single marriage that had ever happened in his lifetime in that village. Because he was the historic witch doctor. There was no doctor. He was the doctor. He was the medicine man. When people were sick, they came to him. He was their spiritual guide in this community. People would come to him. I'm pretty sure if they were sick, they got sicker. But I'm just guessing. And anyway, what happened was this. He got sick really sick and he was dying and he performed the incantations on himself and he didn't get better and then he invited his witch doctor buddies to come from the other villages and they came and they did their incantations and he didn't get better and then finally what happened he was at the, at the edge of death there was one Christian one single Christian lady in that whole village and she walked over to his house and went into his house and as he lay dying on that cot she laid her hands on him and prayed for him And he was miraculously healed and restored. And he gave his heart to Christ. And I said, what is he doing here? Why is is this witch doctor, former witch doctor here? Is he a translator? Is he a pastor? And they said, no, he's the guy that consults them when they're trying to figure out how you translate words like angels and demons and Holy Spirit and these awkward, difficult terms that are abstract in their language, he's the guy that knows because he's the one that comes from that world. And so he helped the translators and worked with them. And imagine his surprise. I love this next picture. They put him in the brochure. I don't think he had ever seen a photograph of himself. He's the guy in the brochure. And I was there when they showed him the brochure. And I just cracked up. You know why I'm telling you this story? Because I want you, again, I'm going to say it again. I want you to realize these are not just numbers on the other side of the world. These are real people with lives and souls and struggles. These are people that need the gospel like any one of us. These are people that have been bound in spiritual darkness and witchcraft. That the gospel has come and they've been set free. And I know you want to be part of that. 
And when you see it and you taste it and you smell it and you get close to it like I have, that's why I show you these pictures and tell you these stories. So to finish this, this tale off, this is what happened. While we were there, there was this group of people that had dedicated their Bible the year before, the Kura people that I'd mentioned. And here's a picture of them. And they were these brilliant Talented, They were pastors, translators. They, they had planted a church in their community. And then what they did was they created their own hymnal. That's what they've got here. They wrote their own hymnal in a language that didn't, uh, even, uh, didn't even exist 10 years before. Now they've got hymnals and they've written these songs and they were, were singing these songs that they had written. And so the reason that came across my desk was these people are now ready as the church is blossoming in this church in the foothills of the Himalayas. They are now wanting to do a New Testament and they needed a sponsor. And when I saw that, I thought, I know these people and I want our church to invest in these people. How many of you are with me on this one? And so we want to support this project. That's just a little snapshot of what could happen. Those are the Dollarama projects. There's many that cost a lot more than that. But here's what I want you to know is that God has given us the wherewithal to help the world. And we can do it on a dollar a day or some of you $3 a day or some of you $5 a day or some of you $10 a day. But every one of us needs to do something because the gospel is going forward. God is not standing still. Pandemic or no pandemic, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations. And then the end shall come. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to speak to those that are watching online right now just for a moment. And uh, I know some of you have not made this decision for yourself. And that you have never decided, definitively decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that very thing today. And there's a little hand that's popping up right now on your screen. All you have to do is click on that, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So do me a favor. If you've never made that definitive decision to be a follower of Jesus, what better time than today when you realize how passionate God is about this for your soul? And if you click that, I want to take just one moment. I want to pray with you. And just repeat after me, and this is a very simple prayer. We call it the prayer of salvation. And it's the start. It's the beginning of your journey. So please pray and repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess I've been a sinner. Walking in my own way. Doing my own thing. But today it all changes. Because you died on the cross for my sin. Rose again on the third day. And forever live to be my Lord. Today I'm a new creation. Today I'm a Christian. Today I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, you folks in the room, let's give these people a cheer, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.